Well, good morning again. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning here at Bloomfield, we walk through books of the Bible, and we've been walking through uh, the book of Hebrews since early last year, and we're now in chapter 11, uh, where we see the writer of Hebrews giving us examples of what biblical faith looks like. And so we're going to look to another example today as we look at the life of Abraham and of Sarah. Uh, on a personal note, I would ask you to pray for me. I woke up this morning with a scratch in my throat, and during the first sermon, I was starting to lose my voice. Uh, some of you may be excited if my voice goes out in this sermon, um, but if you would pray that it would endure uh, at least through the first three points, and um, that God would be gracious in that way. Um, again, we're, we're in Hebrews 11, and hopefully the, the picture that you've been seeing as we've been walking through Hebrews together is what true, genuine biblical faith looks like. Uh, we have so many examples in our culture uh, of what a blind faith looks like, of what a lack of genuine faith looks like, but when we open the pages of Scripture, we see what it means to have genuine saving faith in Jesus. And we're reminded of that over and over again as we walk through Hebrews 11. And so uh, we've already been given the examples of Abel and Enoch and Noah that faith that heeds God's warnings and believes in God's promises and obeys God's instructions. And we'll, we'll continue to see that now as we consider the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And so with that introduction, out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read our passage for us today. And we stand because this is the holy word of God that he has given to us. And this is what God says. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy that we can gather again on another Lord's Day to consider your word. And so, Lord, I, I pray in these moments that you would protect our minds from distractions, that you would draw our attention to your word, and, Lord, uh, that you would truly call us to repentance and faith. And, Father, as we pray that, I, I do ask specifically, if there's anyone here with us this morning who's yet to put their trust fully in Jesus, who's yet to confess Christ is Lord, I pray, God, that you would do that work in them today, that they too might look to that day when they will see our Lord Jesus face to face. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Was well, a pastor, especially a pastor who's currently preaching on matters of faith, it always catches my attention when I see headlines in the news about faith. And I saw one just the other day that, that you may have seen as well. Uh, this was the headline. It said, Pennsylvania woman injures two after intentionally crashing car 
as a test of faith. I went on to describe how this 31-year-old woman intentionally drove head-on into traffic as a way to test her faith. She later told the state troopers that she had been praying for hours and, and wanted to know if God was listening, wanted to test her faith. And so she decided, well, I'm going to drive into oncoming traffic, and if I don't get hurt, then that means I have true faith. And if I do get hurt, that means God's not listening. And she indeed did drive into traffic. She got in an accident. She severely injured two other people. But she walked away from the accident. And she told the trooper that it was because of God and because of her faith. In fact, when they asked her about the two people that were injured, she didn't seem to have much remorse because she said the reason they got injured was because they didn't have faith. And that is not... What we see in the scripture is a test of faith. That's a test of insanity. And yet that is not far from what so many consider to be what biblical faith looks like. What we so often think of our faith in terms of testing, in terms of looking for signs. And these tests we look to aren't necessarily God testing us. We look for ways to test God. We test God by asking for signs. So often we, we want God to just show us something, to reveal something to us. We often ignore what he's already revealed in his word. And we want something spectacular. And yet, friends, this is not what we see commended as we come to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is a chronicle of men and women who had faith in God. Many of them who struggled greatly in that faith, and yet they're commended for their faith, for their biblical faith. And so it's important that we learn from these examples and this culture that we live in, this culture that tells us to let go and let God, this culture that tells us to look for signs, Now, Scripture points us a very different direction, and what we find in Hebrews 11 is a picture of that direction, and that picture begins with having biblical faith, having faith that is rooted in the revealed Word of God. And so the writer, as he's writing to a group of people who have been persecuted for their faith, a group of people who are being tempted to walk away from their faith, he's writing that to encourage them to press on in their faith, to endure, to persevere. And he's showing them these examples throughout the scripture, just walking chronologically through biblical history. And he's saying, look at this act of faith. Look at how God used this person. And now he comes to Abraham. And it's fitting that he'll come back to Abraham in Hebrews 11. In fact, Abraham's spoken of more in this chapter than anyone else. And that's fitting because we see so much about Abraham in God's word. In fact, as you read through Genesis, you find between chapters 12 and chapters 25 that the story of Abraham's life. And as you study that story, you find that Abraham was a man of faith and he was a man that wrestled in his faith. Now, there were times when he did exactly what God told him to do. And there are times he ran entirely the other direction. And that should be an encouragement to us because we are people that struggle in our faith as well. And so we can learn from those who've gone before us and struggled. And so this morning, I want us to consider three things we learn as we look to the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah. Beginning with the first point that I put there in your notes. Number one, biblical faith responds in obedience to God's call. Biblical faith responds in obedience to God's call. The very first thing that we read about Abraham in Hebrews 11 
is that he obeyed God. Now, this takes us back to Genesis chapter 12. And if you're familiar with what happens in Genesis chapter 12, this is when God calls Abraham, then referred to as Abram. And he calls him to leave his country, to leave his land, to leave the land of his fathers, the land of his inheritance, the land where he had married, the land where he had many people working for him, the land where he had land. And to leave all that behind, to go to this place that God was calling him to, and yet God wasn't giving him a great amount of detail about this. But he responds to the call of God with obedience. Again, this is what we read in Genesis chapter 12. Then the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then we read these words, So Abram went. And that's where the writer of Hebrews picks up in Hebrews 11. Verse 8, he says, Abraham obeyed. Abraham went out. Verse 9, Abraham went. And it's a reminder to us that biblical faith is a faith that obeys. And without obedience, we can't have genuine biblical faith. Biblical faith is a faith that obeys. And yet what we see in the scripture And what we see in our culture today is there are many people who will say they have faith, but they have a faith without obedience. It's not just a problem for us today. It was a problem in Jesus' day. I mean, consider in the days of Christ, the religious leaders of his day. Consider the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who said they had faith, who, who externally looked like they had great faith. And yet so often, they did not obey the commands of God. This is why John the Baptist, as he is baptizing, preparing the way for Jesus, as he looks to these Pharisees and these religious leaders, he says to them, you need to go bear fruit keeping with your repentance. What is John saying there? He's saying, you say that you have faith, you say that you're repentant, but there's absolutely no evidence of that in your life. And friends, that's exactly what we see of so many in the Christian culture today. We see so many people who will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yes, I believe in Jesus. And yet their life is riddled with unrepentant sin. And that's not to say that we look down on someone. We're sinners too. But for the grace of God, we would be doing all kinds of things. All have sinned, the scripture says, and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a difference between those who sin and turn from that sin and repentance and those who continue, as we've read in Hebrews, in deliberate sin. And what we see being called out often in the scripture is this unbiblical faith, a faith without repentance, a faith without obedience. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23 as he speaks to the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you! And if you follow the line of argument, Jesus is saying, woe to you. Why? Because you demand others obey God, and yet your life is full of disobedience. It's important for us to take note in our lives today. Are we living in obedience to the word of God? Not just part of it. Not just some of it. Not just picking and choosing which parts we feel like we do pretty good at. But are we seeking to live in obedience 
to the revealed word of God. Now, your response to that may be, well, Pastor, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. It's absolutely not an easy thing to do. It wasn't easy for Abraham. If you'll remember, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave everything behind and called him in this act of obedience. I, in the first service, stressed how old he was, and I had a few people talk to me afterwards who apparently were 75 or older, and they said, well, that's really not that old. Uh, but it is, and and there's a point to it. Abraham was old, and, and many of us in our age might get to places and points where we think, well, well that's, that's for someone else to do. Yeah, I know this needs to be done. I know God calls his church to, be, to do this, but I've, I've done my job. I've done my work. Somebody else can do that now. Now, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is obeying God, living in obedience with every day, with every breath we have until we see God face to face in heaven. We don't age out of obedience. And what we see here from Abraham in his life, in this picture that's held up to us in Hebrews 11, is look to Abraham, who, what does the writer say? He was as good as dead. And yet God used him and God blessed him. We see he obeyed God. When God called, he went. Now again, if you know anything about Abraham's life, you know that he was not perfect at all in his obedience. In fact, when you read through Genesis, it's a roller coaster with Abraham. God calls him, and he goes. Okay, great, you obeyed Abraham. And then what does he do? He disobeys. Up and down, up and down. He obeys, he disobeys, obeys, disobeys. But the long-term fruit of his life, as you study Abraham, is the longer he goes, the longer he walks with God, the more obedient he becomes, the more faithful he becomes. And even when he struggles to be faithful, God does not. It's a reminder to us again that our faith is not rooted in trying to be like Abraham, but our faith is rooted in looking to Jesus Christ, who never disobeyed, who perfectly obeyed the call of God, even to the point of the cross. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. And here's why that is such a beautiful, wonderful thing for us today. If your salvation rested entirely on your perfect obedience, if my salvation rested entirely on my perfect obedience, then there would be absolutely no hope for us. Because we struggle. We fail. You can sit here this morning and you can sing blessed assurance and you can walk out of this church and you can curse your neighbor. You can stand here on the promises of God and you can go out there and struggle with anxiety and worry. You can sing about how you're trusting in Jesus, trusting in Christ, and then you can barely almost have a nervous breakdown over not trusting God and trying to trust in others and trying to trust in yourself and just get so overwhelmed. We, like Abraham, have this up and down experience. And so it's encouraging, overwhelmingly to us, that our salvation rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, who did not struggle in his obedience, who was perfectly obedient to the Father to the point of death, who took our place, died the death that we deserved, conquered death, 
rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, and even now as we struggle, intercedes for us in prayer. And friends, that is the comfort we receive when we have biblical faith. And that's the faith that we see in Abraham. Point two, we see that biblical faith looks forward to our heavenly home. Biblical faith looks forward to our heavenly home. And notice what's happened here. The writer of Hebrews has chronicled for us in summary, in just a few verses, what happened in Abraham's life. He says, God called Abraham to, to leave his home country and to go to a place of promise, to go to the land of Canaan. But then notice what he says about that. He says that as he goes to that land of promise, he lives in a tent. That there seems to be this very temporary nature of this land of promise. Well, why is that? Well, he continues to help us to understand that with verse 10, where he says, For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, the picture here is that Abraham, even when he was in the land of promise, was looking forward to something else. That Abraham understood that even in the land of Canaan, that that was temporary. That that was not his true resting place, his true home. The picture here is that Abraham, with all his ups and downs, with all his struggles, with all his suffering, with all his trials, he was looking to something beyond the temporal. He was looking towards his heavenly home. And friends, this is what biblical faith does. Biblical faith enables us to today to look forward to our heavenly home. To realize that we are dwelling in tents as well. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 tells us we are sojourners and we are exiles. This world is not our home. I love the way one of the Puritans put it, Jeremiah Burroughs. He said it this way. He says, the scripture tells us plainly that we must behave ourselves as pilgrims and strangers. Consider what your condition is. You are pilgrims and strangers, so do not think to satisfy yourselves here. So let us not be troubled when we see that other men have great wealth, but we have not. Why? We're going away to another country. You are, as it were, only lodging here for a night. If you were to live a hundred years in comparison to eternity, it is not as much as a night. It is though you were traveling and you come to an end. Do you see the picture there? Yeah, it's that picture of having an eternal perspective. It's that picture of looking heavenward. So that when trials come, when suffering comes, when we struggle in obedience and faith, we can look up and we can set our sights heavenward. And we can look towards our heavenly home. And that's the continual encouragement we see in the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11. You might think of it this way. When I was younger, we lived at the coast of North Carolina. And many of you know my father is a fisherman. And if you put a fisherman that close to water, he's got to get a boat. And so he eventually did. And uh, we would go out in that boat on the ocean. Now, if many of you have gone out on a boat in the ocean, you know that's a little bit different than going out on a boat on a lake. Uh, because even if there's just a, a little bit of movement in the water, uh, you can get seasick really quick. Or as my father would affectionately say, I would start chumming the water. And so 
we go out in that boat, and sure enough, I'd start chumming, and it was a miserable experience. Uh, but I went home, and I decided I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to figure out how to go out on this boat and not get sick. And so some of you may know this little trick, but uh, if you go out in a boat and you're on the ocean, the, the trick, uh, at least one of them, is to look to the horizon. And if you'll just stay focused on the horizon, it'll help you not to get seasick. And so, sure enough, uh, we went out on the boat one day, and I looked out at that horizon, and I thought, this is great, and I didn't get sick at all. And In fact, it was going so well that I forgot to stop looking at the horizon, and I started looking down, and then I started chumming again. And so, I learned that it's important to, to be forward-looking. To, to look out over that horizon and not put our focus on those details and on the waves and on what we're in the middle of. And friends, that's much more than a fishing lesson. That's a life lesson. And that's what we see here, I believe, in the life of Abraham. Abraham's life was filled with waves and with storms. And yet, what do we see him commended for? He was looking at the horizon. He was looking forward to his heavenly home. He was looking forward to that city whose builder and designer is God. And the reality of it is this. One of the reasons that you and I struggle so much, one of the reasons we get so overwhelmed by the things of this world, and I'm not making light of them, I'm talking serious stuff that just overwhelms us and weighs us down. One of the reasons is because so often we don't look up at what is to come. And we get so fixed on the temporary that we forget about the eternal. And what God calls us to do in those moments, and this doesn't belittle our experience, it doesn't belittle our grief, but what he calls us to do is to look forward to that heavenly home. To look forward to that day when there's no more death, and there's no more sickness, and there's no more disease. To look forward to that day when we, like Abraham, will dwell in that city whose builder and designer is God. To look beyond the temporal effects of the fall on this world. To look beyond our temporal circumstances. To look beyond our temporal grief and all those things that overwhelm us. And they do overwhelm us. And to seek to set our sights heavenward. And that's a picture for us of biblical faith. And that's a picture that Jesus encourages us to have. And consider Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. Uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, and there's that section in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the Beatitudes, and what Jesus is doing there is he's calling us to look heavenward. And so, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying there? He's saying you may be discouraged. You may be downcast. You may be ready to throw in the towel. But look towards heaven. Because if you are in Christ and you're trusting in Christ, the kingdom of heaven is yours. He goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. There is certainly comfort this side of eternity in Christ. But he's talking about something much more eternal. He's saying when we grieve, when we suffer, when we're overwhelmed, look heavenward. And look to the day when we receive great comfort. The gospel continues to point us forward. The gospel continues to tell us to look ahead. And so maybe this morning, some of you may realize that you're not looking ahead, you're not looking forward, you're not looking heavenward. And perhaps today you're overwhelmed by your circumstance 
and by your condition. The encouragement from God's word is to do what we see Abraham doing here and to look forward to that city whose builder and designer is God, to look forward to our heavenly home. And then point three, we see that biblical faith trusts in God's faithfulness. Biblical faith trusts in God's faithfulness. The writer here now calls our attention to Sarah. Again, you go back to Genesis chapter 12, following through all the way, really Genesis 17 through 21, and you see a big part of Sarah's story there. Uh, The scripture tells us that Abraham and Sarah were very old. They were past the point in their life when they would have children. In fact, Sarah was barren. She would not had a child. And part of this calling and part of this promise on Abraham and Sarah's life was to go not only to this land of promise, but that God was going to bless the nations through them, that they were going to have a child, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. Now you think about that for a moment, what that was for Sarah. In fact, there's a moment there in Genesis 18 where God sends messengers, he sends angels to Abraham and Sarah. And they tell them this message from God that specifically she's going to have a child, she's going to have a son. And you may remember Sarah's response. It was one of laughter. It was one of unbelief. In fact, Genesis 18, 12 says, So Sarah laughed to herself saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old. There's no way this is going to happen. There's no way God's going to give a child to me. This is not reasonable. This is not natural. This is not going to come to pass. Yet what is God doing here? God is showing Abraham and Sarah a picture of what it means for God to provide in a way that goes far beyond anything we can comprehend. He's pointing the way, I believe, to another mother Another who, in an unnatural situation, not too old, but this time young and a virgin, and how she will have a child. And how many will look to that situation and say, well, there's no way, that's not possible. We see what God does here is that that, that God, he is so faithful to go far beyond our means, far beyond our abilities, to show that he is a God who can do anything. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that that our God is able to do anything? Because that's the picture that we have throughout God's word. In fact, God responds to Sarah in Genesis 18 through Abraham by saying, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm whole? And this is what God says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now hear me. Do you believe today there are things that are too hard for the Lord? Your answer to that might be, well, no, I don't believe that. But but consider that. Last week, Madison did an excellent job talking about persistent prayer. And he he touched on this, on things that perhaps we've just given up on, things we've stopped praying for. And yet the message of the scripture is to pray persistently, to continue to go before the Father. But the reality is, for many of us, we, we just have a microwave faith. So we just punch in the prayer and wait three minutes, and if something doesn't happen, we just move on to the next thing. But what's the picture in Scripture? Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for God. He tells that to Abraham and Sarah. He tells that to many others. Think of the picture we see in the book of Job. 
In the book of Job, Job goes through so much suffering, he loses so much, but towards the end there, chapter 42, Job repents, and Job acknowledges this about God. He says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is what we see in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet because he prophesied to a people who refused to repent. He preached the same sermon over and over and nobody responded. They kept digging in deeper in their sin. And yet this is what he learned. Ah, Lord God, Jeremiah 32, 17. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. It's the message that Mary learns in Luke chapter 1 when she is told again this impossible child is coming. And what do we read in Luke 1.37? For nothing is impossible with God. It's the message we see in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus is explaining the mystery of the gospel to the disciples. And he said, with God all things are possible. And it's what we're reminded of as a church as we come to Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he writes in Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, do you believe this morning? That God is able. Do you believe this morning that God can do abundantly more than anything we seek or ask? Because friends, that is what the scripture teaches. And that is the picture we see in Hebrews chapter 11. See, Hebrews 11 at the end of the day isn't just a chapter about the faithfulness of man. Ultimately, it's a chapter about the faithfulness of God. It's a chapter filled with people like you and I who struggle in their faith and it's a picture of how God never struggles and is perfectly faithful. And we're reminded of it there in verse 12 where again, the writer points to Abraham and says what? He says, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Friends, have you ever tried to count the stars? Have you ever just taken one handful of sand and tried to number the grains? What's the picture there? The picture is here's Abraham and Sarah, old in age, past those years of child rearing and childbirth. And they come to this point where they realize God is going to give them a son. But God doesn't just give them a son. The writer of Hebrews says, God gives them many sons and many daughters through that son because that's what God does. Abundantly, exceedingly, beyond anything we can comprehend. And God does that because he is perfectly faithful even when we are not. And what we're called to do in light of this good news is to place our trust in him. And that will not always be easy. It may be that our circumstance is a barrier to that, like Abraham's was. It may be that you look at your life today and you say, well, it sounds easy enough to trust in Christ, but you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand the circumstance that I'm in. It may be because of your belief. You may be struggling this morning just to believe God's word and to believe the gospel. 
It may be because you are in the midst of grief and mourning and you're just overwhelmed with life and you don't understand why so much has fallen on you and when you look around it seems like everybody else doesn't have the problems you have. But God's word is the same to all of us. He calls us to trust in him. He calls us to look heavenward. He calls us to have a faith that rests entirely in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to close our time this morning by singing a hymn that talks about that trust and talks about what it means to really trust in Jesus. It's a familiar song to many of you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And I've shared the story before, but I'll, I'll share it again because I think it's so fitting to understand the context in which this song was written. It was written by a young lady named Louisa Stead. She was born in England but came to the States, and it was here in the States that she heard and responded to the gospel. And, and in that moment, as she responded to the gospel, she believed that God was calling her to the mission field. And so she began to prepare to be a missionary, to serve the Lord wherever he might lead her. Along the way, uh, she married, and her and her husband had a young child, and so they were making their preparations uh, to go to the mission field. And one day they decided to have a picnic. And they were near the coast, and so they went to the beach, and they laid out a blanket, and they began to have this picnic. And as they do, they heard cries for help. Then they looked out at the water, and they noticed there was a young man being pulled out by a riptide. And so without hesitation, Louisa's husband jumped in the water. He swam after that young boy. But in a devastating turn of events, he too got swept in that riptide. And Louisa was holding her young child as she watched her husband drown. In that moment, what do you say to Louisa? And in that moment, what, what does biblical faith look like? Some of you have had these moments when you are just so entirely overwhelmed by grief and suffering. But in that moment, God gave her a word. She looked heavenward and she began to write down some words in the following days in the midst of her grief. And this is what she wrote. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me and will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, all for grace to trust him more. That is our call, friends, and that is our song, to place our trust and our hope in Christ. So if you would stand together as I pray that we would do that very thing. And as we prepare to respond to God's word and sing. Father we do pray that you would help us to trust in you. We see in front of us this morning the testimonies of Abraham and Sarah. Who struggled and yet they are commended for their faith. I pray God for those here this morning who perhaps feel that their life is filled with struggle.
I pray their hope and their trust would be in you. Now, there are others here, Lord, who have experienced, are experiencing, will experience just devastating suffering. Lord, I pray that you would help their song to be what we're about to sing, that their trust would be in Jesus. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would help us to see that we are just passing through. We are staying but for a night in this world. You have called us to our heavenly home. Help us to fix our gaze and our hope there. And Lord, again, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their trust in Jesus, I pray that now in this moment, Lord, that you would do a work in their heart. And so, friends, I want to ask you to take a moment just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And as we're praying, I'm just going to give a moment right now for each of us to, to just spend a moment in prayer. And that might be a moment that you just need to go before God. And acknowledge that you haven't been trusting in him. That might be a moment for you to go before God and place your trust in Jesus for the first time. It may be you need to pray about something entirely different. But we don't want to let this time pass without giving each person here an opportunity to respond to God through prayer. So just take a moment now and respond to God. Father, it indeed is a sweet thing to trust in Jesus. So help us to do that now, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.